Okay, thanks. There are three big ideas I want us to discuss after I get this thing out of the way. Um, write these down if you have a pen, pencil. This is, if you catch nothing else, these are the three main ideas that I hope you, you leave with. I'll explain them, obviously, so don't feel like that, that won't happen. The process is important as a response. Ideas have consequences. Hopefully you've heard that before. Maybe your mom told you that when you were younger. Integrated mission is our future history. Integrated mission is our future history. Um, will, you, will you bow your heads and pray with me as we begin? Father, uh, we think of our brothers and sisters across the world who um, are joyful, are suffering, are sick, are healthy, are fearful, are oppressed, are striving day by day to survive. And God, we gather united with one purpose, to bring you glory and to serve you well. Would you teach us something new today, God? Even as I speak, would you teach me something new? That we could all come together and learn from you, our great mighty king. Thank you for our time together, for all of us who came from all over the world, all over the country to be here together today. It's, it's very humbling, God. And it's in your strong name we pray. Amen. Okay, next slide, please. Before anybody speaks to you, they should let you know who they are. So my name is Justin Narducci. I wear the sport coat to look like a doctor. I'm not a doctor, so do not be missed. I'm uh, first and foremost a husband and father of two. That's Cinderella and Buzz Lightyear for most recent Halloween. Um, I became a believer in high school, and I studied international development in graduate school. I'm actually a business guy, so... Um, I have an MBA in international management from Thunderbird School of Global Management, a business administration degree, and I serve as the director of partnerships and resources for Life in Abundance International. Next slide, please. Joining me today is actually our president, Dr. Florence Muindi, who's fee-manning the booth over here. <laughs> and um, another doctor, Dr. Tom McKechnie, who's also with us, and he'll actually share later. We have doctors in the, in the room, so any technical questions we can answer, which is great. All right, next slide. They're also speaking at, uh, interestingly enough, the same time, Saturday at 8 a.m. You have to choose who you'd like to hear. Dr. Mwindi's teaching participatory approaches in community development, and Dr. McKechnie's teaching, teaching nationals that can expand your impact. I think there was more to it. It was a really long title. So anyway, those two, pick one, go to it. It's going to be, I would call, like the second phase of what you're going to hear today, a more technical discussion on things that we will raise today. All right, next slide. Here's where we're going. Um, before we can know where we're going, we have to know where we came from, right? And so we're going to talk about the history of integrated mission, we're going to talk about the emerging strategy of mission, specific examples of Christian responses to poverty and medicine. And then Dr. Tom's going to share a bit of his own journey with us, where he's been, where he's going, how his own ideas have been shaped about medicine that empowers. Again, that's our goal. If there's time at the end, we will have questions and answers. I hope there will be a little bit of time. But other than that, I say we begin. Next slide, please. Okay. I want us to consider two mandates, and this is philosophical, this is theological, but I, I, we have, it's, it's really imperative that we begin to understand this discussion by considering these two pieces. The first is what we call a spiritual mandate, 
and it refers to the commission to announce the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. The second mandate is social, and it calls Christians to responsible participation in human society, including working for the human well-being and justice. And much of what I will share today is from a book called Transforming Mission by David Bosch, who was a South African theologian who passed away in 19... Oh, it's right there. That was nice. Transforming Mission, David J. Bosch. Get it. It's a big, thick book, but very, very much worth your time. And the question we want to raise is, even before we get talking, spiritual and social, I think if, if you know your church history, St. Augustine would not be very happy with these things because we're talking about integrating two very separate ideas. Even the idea of a medical mission conference is not necessarily something that would have happened long ago. It's an, it's an, it's an emerging thought, but it has roots back to John Edwards in, in Protestantism. So let's go to the next slide. Distinction can actually be traced back in Protestant circles to Jonathan Edwards, who was, who was alive up until 1758. According to Edwards, God's work of redemption has two facets. One contains converting, sanctifying, and glorifying individuals, and the other pertains to God's grand design in creativity, history, and providence. To Edwards, the, the social and the spiritual were inseparable. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So remember, think 1700, Jonathan Edwards... These inseparable ideas tied together. What happened? As time progressed, there became a shift in ideology toward the primacy of evangelical mandate, which is obviously the spiritual side. 1865 to 1900, we saw a social decline or social interest in social impact decline. From 1900 to 1930, a social mandate largely disappeared. And I asterisk that with, and this is Bosch's word, not mine, but fundamentalism continues this paradigm to date. So when you hear somebody say, well, he's a fundamentalist, that's what he means. Following the Second World War, however, change began to filter in, and these two separate ideologies began to be closer and closer together. Key in this time period was the writing of Carl F.H. Henry and his book, The Uneasy Conscience of Man. And in 1947, so World War II ended in 1945, right? In 1947, he wrote, Whereas once the redemptive gospel was a world-changing message, now it is narrated to a world-resisting message. Fundamentalism is revolting against the social go- in revolting against the social gospel seemed also to revolt against the Christian social imperative. And then don't miss this. He concludes, There's no room for a gospel that is indifferent to the needs of the total man, nor of the global man. This perspective took time to penetrate evangelical circles. So we're talking 1947. Next slide, please, Florence. The 60s. All right. So we moved to the 60s. And um, interesting time, obviously. What we see in the 60s is, a, is a, almost a convergence. We see these two different spheres or um, ideas coming together. Sorry, there's folks over there on the left. Coming together closer and closer, but still we see one having a, a predominance over the other. During the 60s at the Wheaton Declaration, this was a big event, and the British Conference, they concluded that evangelicals in the 18th and 19th century that led in social concern and stressed the importance of ministering to physical and social needs stating that this should happen without minimizing the priority of preaching the gospel of individual salvation. Okay, check this out. I I uncovered this today. Billy Graham in 1967 said this. 
I'm convinced if the church went back to its main task of proclaiming the gospel and getting people converted to Christ, it would have a far greater impact on the social, moral, psychological needs of man than any other thing could possibly do. It's interesting. So all you medical people who are interested in serving people, maybe that falls second to teaching them theology. Interesting. Something to think about. 1967. As time marched on, these ideals became more and more pressure. These ideals had more and more pressure placed on them to continue to morph into what we originally had with Jonathan Edwards. The climax of all of this came at 1974 Luzon Covenant of International World Evangelization. At the conference, much of the dialogue revolved around the spiritual preeminence and pushed forward by pastors and evangelical leaders participating in the conference from the developing world. So you had, in 1974, you had worlds colliding. You had developing world ministers, and you had this evangelical North American Protestantism. And and the North Americans are talking like Billy Graham, and the evangelicals, even in the developing world, the evangelicals are saying, that's not enough. We're very poor. The gospel isn't enough. And where do these two elements collide? And so in 1974... Actually, following the Congress of 1974, John Stott published a book stating his response to what he learned at the Congress a year earlier. I now see more clearly that not only the consequences of the Great Commission, but the actual commission itself must be understood to include the social as well as the evangelistic responsibility. Otherwise, we are guilty of distorting the words of Jesus. Next slide. Uh, Back a slide or two. Florence, you are getting crafty over there, aren't you? Okay. Um, In line with this sentiment, the Lausanne Convention concluded that spiritual and social mandates, involvement in both, are part of our Christian duty. For both are necessary expressions of doctrines of God and man, our love for our neighbor, and our obedience to Jesus Christ. Though gaining momentum and gaining equality, the approach of evangelism and social responsibility continued to feel pressure. Next slide, please. I classify the 1980s through today as what we call our emerging strategy. From the 1980s onward, there have been exciting developments among evangelical thinking in this regard. To a large extent, systematic injustice of South Africa actually brought the separation of the two mandates together. Let's go to the next slide. Think about apartheid in South Africa. In the context of the apartheid system, evangelicals felt forced to respond by articulating views on the evangelical mission, structured evil, and the church's responsibility with respect to justice in society. And these these evangelical leaders in South Africa are quoted as saying the following. They had no doubt that they were called to a ministry of proclaiming Christ as Savior and inviting people to put their trust in him, but they were equally convinced that sin was both personal and structural that life was of one piece, and that dualism was contrary to the gospel, and that their ministry had to be broadened as well as deepened. It's really interesting to think about that. South African apartheid in 1986, and you're an evangelical pastor, and you're wrestling with this tension. The weight of it all, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? Let's go to the next slide. I call this dimension or this tension the emerging strategy of mission. 
Actually, Dr. Mwindi calls it the emerging strategy of mission. I steal it. But the, the goal is that the strategy focuses on the integration of spiritual elements and physical elements, bringing them together without preeminence for one or the other. This is, in fact, an exciting time in history, but it's also, an important, it's also important that we understand that we have a responsibility that God has given us to, in, the, in the context in which we find ourselves. With the remaining time, I want us to consider the activities of medicine or primary health within the framework of this emerging strategy we find ourselves in. There are really five responses. If you, if you boil it down, there are really five responses that the Christian find themselves operating within. The first is relief. I'll explain these as we go through the slides. The second is education. The third is political protest and advocacy. Sorry, that slipped. The fourth is incarnational modeling. And the fifth is transformation. And from this point forward, when I use the term empowering, it will be language that's used in the context of a poverty situation. And it can be local, it can be international. But the terminology that I'm trying to use is within that context. Okay. You could argue that there are other responses, but for the most part, we can fit some of them into here. So let's go to the next slide. Relief. Now, I got really crafty, and we're doing this with an analogy of fishing. So I hope you can follow the analogy. It's pretty complicated, but you guys are smart. Okay, relief. That would be giving a fish, right? This, in this context, you are meeting the direct needs through healing or feeding. Can somebody raise your hand real quick and tell me what a relief medical situation would be? The thing in Haiti. Okay. The thing in Haiti, you have a you have an earthquake. Sorry, did I yell? You have an earthquake, and it, you have an, an, an emergency response. Even I, I picture Tom in an emergency room, dealing with urgent issues that have to be dealt with. That's a relief situation. Okay, the next one is education. Teach people how to fish. This is where the Christian teaches truths that would allow the poor to respond to their own challenges. Um, a great example of this is. Uh, a ministry at the church I belong to back in Phoenix just started. It's called Loving Through Literacy. And they're teaching kids in Africa to read. And the whole goal is that by teaching them to read, the education will improve their well-being. Okay? So that's what I would consider education. Again, the big picture here is there are five general buckets that we can consider the Christian response in, in a medical context or even a broader context to poverty. The next one, protest and advocacy. This is where we ask, what happened to all the fish? There used to be fish here, and now there aren't fish here. It's pausing and asking the question and challenging the system. And this would involve directly addressing the systems that create or perpetuate poverty. Um, the first example I thought of in this was uh, a, a physician who has just been to a developing world situation and realized there is a shortage of AIDS vaccines. Uh, not vaccines. HIV, AIDS. There would be a shortage of AIDS vaccines, wouldn't there be? Right. But, but antiretrovirals, right? And that doctor petitions the, the Clinton Global Foundation to provide more cheap antiretrovirals to that community. That's an example of that. The fourth one is incarnational modeling. I think this will be interesting to a lot of the young ones in the room. 
Incarnational modeling is where you model a new way to fish. It would look like Christians living among the poor and sharing life, ministry, and their profession with one another. Um, but it requires you to actually live there. So incarnationally, makes sense, right? The last one. Next slide, please. Transformation. A new way to fish owned by the people or owned by the community. This is where you see the community leading a local movement that is owned by them and the integrated physical and social ministries are active among them. Okay. That's all fun and good, right? Let's play a quick game here. Where do these fit in? Can we go to the next slide, Florence? Uh, let's not go to that slide. Okay. Go up a few to the responses. Can you go up to – keep going. Okay. Within this context, this is a really important piece. These are the five – different buckets that we generally respond in poverty. Now, I tried to think medically from what I've experienced at Life in Abundance over the last three years working with medical professionals, both on our staff and that came from abroad. And I tried to put together some examples, and we could as a group try to figure out where they fit in within these. And hopefully the goal of this entire exercise is that we begin to think about the response that we have. Big idea number one. Okay, what if I was um, a medical practitioner and I started an informational campaign in a community about proper hygiene and sanitation practices? Maybe you've been in the developing world and you've seen these billboards up. It's a campaign, wash your hands, these basic things. Where does that fit in? Education. Education. Could it fit anywhere else? Okay. I guess it depends on who's doing it, right? It could fit in transformation if the community was doing that. Let's go to the next one. Starting a nursing school. I'm a practitioner, and I'd like to start a nursing school to train developing world practitioners because I was showed up and there were no nurses anywhere. I'm not convinced. Somebody convince me. I heard modeling. I heard education. Incarnation, incarnational modeling. I think it could be. I think it could be both. I thought that that would probably be incarnational modeling, and I think if done right, it could lead to transformation. But that would be my best guess. Sure. Um, the idea of of incarnational modeling, from a purely philosophical standpoint, purely philosophical, is that you are living incarnationally with those that you are serving and living with. So I guess it would depend – I assume a few things in that. I assume that, the, the peop, that she's actually living in this community or that I'm actually living in the community, among the community, and that we're raising up the community that I'm actively living among with a, a nursing type of initiative. So it depends on – all these depend on how it's done in, in large part. If you don't at all live among the community, you aren't living in their presence, you aren't taking different people from the community, I think it gets pretty complicated. And I could be wrong. So, What if I took a sabbatical from my job at the hospital to teach a developing world medical school, to teach at a developing world medical school?
Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say it's both. Training non-technical local pastors preventative medicine best practices for their context. Let me repeat that. Training non-technical local pastors preventative medicine preventative medicine best practices for their context. Good. Education, transformation, there's no, I mean, there's no right answer. But. What about this? I respond to devastation following the earthquake in Haiti. How did I respond? Unpack it a little bit. Okay, so I respond by doing what? Okay, relief. Are there other ways I could respond in a crisis? Clean up. Okay. Okay, what else? Okay. What if I'm a medical, what if I'm a doctor? Okay. Set up a hospital, is that what you said over there? You can go and teach. You could teach. Tell me more about that. I like the way you're thinking. So what we're starting to put together is there are different ways that we can respond. The situation doesn't dictate necessarily how we can respond. What about this one? Short-term medical mission trip. Depends on what you do. All right. I like you. Depends on what you do. Why? Why does it depend on what you do? There's lots of opportunities, aren't there? What do we usually think of when we think of short-term medical mission trip? Number one, right? How often have you thought of number two? What would that even look like to think of number two on a short-term medical mission trip? You're learning from the <laughs> I like you more. Sorry, he just took your spot. I'm just kidding. Tell me more about that. It's a fun soapbox. Okay. Uh, I get the point, and I think everybody else gets the point, right? Okay. Um, what if you were to take a different approach, non-self-learning approach to education on a short-term medical mission trip? What would that look like? Okay, so uh, say that again. Okay, that's an interesting idea. 
I like it. Not at all what I was thinking, but it, definitely I like it. Yeah. It can't even be advocacy because the folks that go with you uh, can't. We'll have a voice. We have a voice, and those voices can go back home or can send money. And, ah. Uh, what about transformation? I think modeling is inherently tough on a short-term mission trip. That seems difficult. Yeah. I'm thinking of a sister church arrangement that I've seen where a team went down, worked with a local church that they had developed a relationship with over the course of a number of years, did education on diabetes, which was very prevalent in that area, teaching the, the local village people really what, what they were dealing with, how they could change their eating habits, and at the same time teaching the local church members and some of the healthcare workers how to respond to that and how to continue that education. That would be the beginning stages of that transformational process, I think. So we just talked about short-term medical mission trips and found that four out of the five different responses could happen. Interesting. So the circumstances don't dictate our response. And my point with all of this is that the process and the response are equal. The process with which we evaluate what we're going to do is just as important as responding to whatever needs there are. If you, if you catch nothing else, please don't miss that part. The process of thinking through what you're going to do and how you're going to respond is just as important as the response itself because they have a dramatic impact. What you do has a dramatic impact on the community. And I'm, and I'm wondering if we often think about these things before we go ahead and respond. Okay, one more. You develop your specialist and you develop a module to teach a non-technical local pastor how to prevent or treat wounds. So you're out in the bush and you keep noticing that these wounds appear on these kids' legs. And so you create a module and you teach a native or, or local pastor how to, to treat that using pictures and so on and so forth. Where would that fit? Why do you say that? Love it. I love it. Okay. So the whole goal of this entire exercise is to think about how we do it and where does it fit in with the broader paradigm. Okay? Is that great? Good? All right. The next part I want to share are a few um, – actually, it comes from Dr. Tom. Dr. Tom is a, an emergency room doctor here in Louisville, also a trauma doc. And I've spent the last three years with Dr. Tom learning from him and us learning together. And I wanted you guys to hear from a real doctor who's been through the process of having their mind and their theology and their praxis of mission wrestled with over the past few years. So Tom's going to share a little bit of his story. Can you go down to, I don't know, five, six slides? Tom's going to share a little bit of his story with you, and I hope that you'll take the time on Saturday to go to his course and um, invite up Dr. Tom. Yeah, clap for the guy. He's a doctor. Do you want to use this? I can yell. Okay. Oh, you can turn the lights up. Uh, going along with his uh, introduction, who am I? I am Thomas Jefferson. I'm board certified in emergency medicine. I've been practicing for about 30 years. Can't hear? Okay. 
I've got more wires than I know what to do with. So. <laughs> this is not my own doing. They made me do it. Okay, it's all you. Uh, I am a board-certified emergency medicine doctor. I've been practicing for over 30 years. And um, I introduced my family. It's all in the back there. They've been all my mission trips with me. Karen and my three boys, Michael, Tommy, and Aaron. So... Uh, I, uh, how did I get to where I'm at today? I uh, struggled with my faith for many years in the emergency room. You can imagine I was uh, had a ringside seat to a lot of very ugly things. And I kept asking the Lord, where are you in all this? And um, I had my theology and my uh, view of life all packaged neatly. And then, you know, the Lord finally, uh, when you don't get, get uh, he doesn't get your attention, he has to take out a field trip. Uh, so sometimes those aren't very pretty, and I had my field trip, and uh, I was humble. And when I finally saw the light, I, uh, I turned my life over to Christ, and uh, He has uh, given me an adventure ever since. So I came home one day after I, I said, sitting in church every Sunday just uh, isn't enough for me, and uh, I felt the Lord calling me to missions, and I just spoke at, uh, with the residents at the university here, and uh, I made the point to them that we have been given a tremendous gift with medicine. How many people here are med- medical? Yeah, most of you are medical and then some, some not. So uh, it's a tremendous gift we've been given. Uh, don't take that for granted. And uh, the greatest value you can have is to uh, use that on the mission field. So, so I came home one, one day and I said, Karen, uh, I have Africa on my heart and I, would, I really think we need to do a mission trip. And... Uh, she was thinking more about Eastern Kentucky, and I was thinking more about Africa. So we were trial by fire, and, and uh, we went to Addis on a, field, on a field trip, basically, a mission trip. And it was wonderful. We did medical, we did community outreach, and it was with life in abundance. And I met Dr. Steve, who was, uh, was a Kenya, on the board of uh, Kenya, and he said, well, uh, you really ought to try to come to Kenya, where we have rather large clinics. And we were seeing about 200 in Ethiopia, and it was a nice pace, and it was wonderful. We got the love. So the following year, we uh, took my whole family and a group of uh, 36 people to Kenya, where we had monstrous clinics. Uh, I think we were at the 4,000 number in a week. So one of the long days, sunrise, sunset, I said, uh, Karen, are the lines getting any longer up there? And she said to me, no, as a matter of fact, they're getting longer. So um, when we looked out, uh, I saw this uh, this wave of sea of, of sick people, and I thought, gosh, this isn't about this medicine. The only thing I want to do is to tell them the story of Jesus Christ. And uh, we're just getting lost in this big medical clinic that we're having. So uh, with that, um, the way we tried to end these clinics, um, I looked at Steve and I said, really, rather large clinics, thousands of people? That was uh, more than I'd ever seen. And uh, so I told, I said, well, we'll go through the line and we'll pick out the sickest. So I sent Karen out, who has no medical background at all, and she walked through and chose a baby. To, and out of these hundreds that were left, she hands me the healthiest baby of the whole group. Big fat cheeks. You know, something's got to be wrong with this baby. His cheeks are too fat. I said, well, he's healthy, so that's good. So she was fired from that job. But, but, uh, so, so then I thought... All I want to do is teach these people about Jesus. Uh, but what I didn't know, and the more I got to, to partner with Life in Abundance, they had done all the work ahead of time. 
when we went into this clinic, they had been there months in advance working with the uh, pastors, partnering with the churches with the CHE model, the Community Health Evangelism model. So, like the gentleman said, transformation of the community had already taken place. They have already partnered with the pastors. So then, uh, when we left, uh, that base had already been set. We drew attention to empower the pastors. And uh, so goes these big medical clinics and community outreach. Uh, then, fast forward now to, to a couple weeks ago, I was in Sudan. And this, to me, is the Lord allowed me to go back into an area that I had one of these huge medical clinics. And uh, the first uh, trip in there, we went in and we saw probably a thousand in a huge medical clinic. But then, uh, our goal was to empower the community. So we started developing modules to teach. So the next time in, we uh, started teaching the dental module. So we taught pastors, lay pastors, how to pull teeth with Dr. Charlie Vittitos, and uh, he's got a, a module here. The other thing we saw lots of, like uh, Justin was talking about, was lots of wounds. So we are developing a wound module. So our last trip in there, uh, the transformation of the community was unbelievable. We landed uh, two weeks ago. Uh, we empowered the community for fence building so that they could do an agricultural piece. That had been completed, the fence was up, and the agricultural piece was in place. Uh, the, the medical clinic we ran uh, just a year or so earlier, so where we saw thousands, was now a medical clinic seeing 300 patients a week with a physician, nurse practitioner in the clinic. Uh, they were charging a small fee for sustainability. So they had their medical clinic running Monday through Saturday. They had a dental module that had taught the pastors how to extract teeth, and that was running two days a week. Uh, we had a school that started with 10 students, and one of our uh, people on the team was a retired school teacher here in town. Then we had a medical or a uh, school curriculum going. So the last piece that we needed to take in there was to power this community with solar power to run a, a centrifuge, microscope, refrigerator for vaccinations, and that was our last piece that we just finished two weeks ago. So in this process of empowerment, which is what Life in Abundance does, they lay the groundwork with the community health evangelists, and they go in months ahead of us, uh, prepare the, the pastors, the churches, to, uh, to evangelize their communities. We use the medical uh, community outreach projects to then empower the pastors. Because the problem I had when I looked out over that wave, wave of suffering is I, I had the word I in it. And it's, it's not about me. How can I do this? It's, it's the indigenous population. It was to empower the pastors and lift them up to where they then would, uh, would control the whole uh, community. And then two years from now when we go in, we've had uh, Holly, one of our LIA, uh, interviewing some of the places that Life in Abundance has been. And they said, what did Life in Abundance do for you? And the response was beautiful. I don't know who Life in Abundance is, but I can tell you who my pastor is. My pastor does this, this, and this. And that is, uh, to me, why I fell in love with Life in Abundance, why I need multiple teams uh, to Kenya, Sudan, Ethiopia, I've been with other uh, organizations. I was in uh, Haiti after the earthquake where the lines were thousands and it was uh, the most horrific thing that I've ever seen. Uh, the, the doctors who were in there with the humanitarian mindset that we can fix this, we can just see all these people uh, struggled and, and usually left within a few days. And the doctors who were there with Christ in their heart uh, were praying with the patients and it was a tremendous opportunity to witness. So, uh, you have to, to empower the communities, uh, 
destroy this dependency they have and then, uh, and then create uh, this self-esteem model that life in abundance works with. So it was, uh, I am uh, in love with life in abundance, Dr. Florence's vision, we, uh, she leads the way and we lead these teams in and we're developing, developing modules for dental. Wound management, like you said, is already up and going in Sudan. When I left, they were cleaning all the wounds. Uh, we're working on an OBGYN module, respiratory pediatrics. Uh, so our goal with a short-term team is to find out what they need, not what I can, uh, what, what I can, how I can fix the problem, but ask them what they need. Then I form the teams from medical people uh, that are uh, probably about 25% of the team. The rest are community outreach. I've got construction workers. I've got school teachers. Uh, and that is the holistic ministry that Life in Abundance is, is all about. And uh, I can tell you it works. And uh, when you go in with the mindset of empowering the local uh, and take the focus off of us, uh, I think we're doing God's work. And what an opportunity to witness for Christ. Uh, because when we leave on the airplane, they are still praying with them, doing the medical, doing the dental, doing the, the, uh, the teaching. So it's a tremendous model. And like when I speak in front of all, uh, crowds, I always uh, give the invitation that I invite any of you to go on a trip with me. Uh, I love taking teams and showing this, this model because many of the teammates that I've had before are now leading teams. So um, I'll give uh, Justin said I have 10 minutes. So I said five, actually, but five. that's okay. You know, talk as we talk, so... That's okay. That's okay. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. I thought it would be great for you to spend some time talking to Tom afterward because, again, he's a real doctor and experiences real medical things that I do not. Um, in closing, I would like to, to challenge us all together. There are three main ideas that we talked about at the beginning that I want us to walk away with. Ideas have consequences, and Tom touched upon it ourselves. If we're the solution, that might be short-sighted as we look forward into serving. Integrated mission is our future history. That's interesting. Integrated mission is our future history. And the reason I bring that point up is looking back from Jonathan Edwards up until the 1980s, it's been a very dynamic situation between the theology of Christians and their service and how they integrated those two elements. And right now I think we're dealing with the situation where integrated mission is our future history and we're not exactly sure how it's going to play out. And so it's an exciting time. It's a challenging time. There's not a manual or a handbook for it per se. But it's a time that requires all of us to think about the ideas with which we do serve and understand the broader context of, of what's going on. Because our history, we are literally writing the history in this integrated mission module. The process is important as a response. And the point there is that the way we think about what we do is just as important as going and serving. And I think we hit, hit upon that. So as you think about planning, as you think about doing medical ministry of some form or another, think about those five buckets. Relief, education, protest and advocacy. This is a, this is a test for me. Integrated modeling or uh, incarnational modeling and transformation. Think about those elements as you prepare what you're doing. The needs are more aware than we could probably ever ever have known. We, we are a more integrated world. The complex problems are heavy. And it's, it's our opportunity as believers who also have a very pragmatic skill that the world needs to be thoughtful about how we're going to do these things. 
So it's my, it's my humble opportunity to be with you. I hope you learned something. I hope there was a nugget in there that inspired you, challenged you, changed the way you think. Overall, I hope that you are encouraged and excited to engage the world in this way. So with that, I will close. And if you have any questions, I would recommend either coming to myself, Dr. Tom, or Dr. Florence afterwards. But we did leave a few minutes for that. Thank you. integrating public health elements into evangelistic ministry and eventually have been spinning off of CMF. So it's generally non-denominational uh, Christian church, a lot of Christian church support, um, but we aren't affiliated with any particular church. So how do you, how do you choose where you're going to go? Uh, that's a great question. We have a whole uh, a whole process for doing that. We're, we're fairly large. We work in about 70 East African countries, and we work with um, we have about 100 local staff. And so we actually conduct. If you really want to know the truth, what we do is we conduct annual trainings for church pastors who are interested and integrated in, in Africa. In Africa. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where you get your pool. Yep. We conduct integrated trainings, yep. and then we start working with them.